Hello and welcome to Devil's, uh, Devcast, I should say, Devil Smith's audio series, which holds exclusive and thought-provoking interviews with professionals of the property industry. My name's Andrew Devil Smith. I'm CEO and founder of Devil Smith, and today I'll be joined by sustainability powerhouse Joseph Michael Daniels, CEO and founder of Project Utopia. Uh, Joseph Michael Daniels founded Project Utopia in 2015, aged 23, believing everybody deserves a comfortable, sustainable home regardless of income. Such homes must impact as little on the planet as possible. Fast forward five years, he's working with financial institutions, governments, major international corporations to develop an aligned message and approach to sustainability globally whilst leading the expansion of Project Utopia. Joseph Thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's your first time, but I've really, really been looking forward to hearing your story. Yeah, it's a unique one. Uh, it's not one that you would usually hear crafted from the academic handbook that is the real estate industry, but here we are. And uh, hopefully it's a little bit more riveting and exciting and thought-provoking uh, to audiences around understanding where you can come from, but also what you can reach and how you can do it with ethics in mind. Brilliant. So, I often say this to people I sit down with and have a chat. Before anything to do with real estate or property, yeah. tell me your story. What? Let's go. Let, let's hear that. Yeah. So, um, I'm from a very, very, very broken home. I had a, suffered a, a younger life in which most people fear. Um, I lived on the streets my first time at 15 years old. Um, my mum, unfortunately, was hospitalised at a very young age. Um, I'm, very, I'm a huge advocate of mental health, impacting my mother badly. My father was an extremely abusive alcoholic. And I spent my formative years trying to understand where I fit in the world, how in this economic landscape of capitalist environments where you can be a multi-multi-millionaire, um, why I couldn't afford electric. And between the ages of 15 and 21, I rolled in and out of circles, some better than others. Um, I was disruptive at school because I could learn quickly, it turns out. But obviously, a young man or young woman in the system that comes from an impoverished background that then has to have family on benefits and hospitalise and not have parental guidance that is intelligent can sometimes be seen as an outcast and disruptive. And therefore, I came out of schools with no GCSEs at the time. Uh, my teachers couldn't handle me, as it were. Um, and zero zero GCSEs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No GCSEs. I was, you know, I was hyperactive. I could take tests in ten minutes before the rest of the class, and I get bored. But because I wasn't contained, I was a young man without pure guidance. I didn't know how to bottle up that energy. I just thought I would had ADHD or something. But obviously, the later years and that have taught me. So yeah, that led that that between fifteen and twenty one. Um, was turmoil. I was on and off the streets a number of times, and at twenty one, um, I had a suicide attempt. Um, had no money, I was blinded in my left eye, um, I tried to go in the army but was medically discharged and I had absolutely nothing and I couldn't live anymore. Um, fortunately, that didn't work and I started to apply this hunger for learning, this passion for change that I have and concentrate it in a manner of which maybe I could make some change. And this started with spoken word poetry, believe it or not. Really? So, yeah, so I have a lot of friends that are in the music industry. Me too. You know, boy from Essex and North London, you know, that's where I grew up. So I spent my, my, most of my years in North London and Essex. And, you know, a lot of them could, like, gram, spit bars and stuff, a lot of them musicians and that. And then uh, I couldn't do that bit, but what I could do is write. So I wrote spoken word. And then started getting involved in music. Um and actually cottoned on to the fact that they weren't doing it right and I was like you get in the media wrong you need to portray yourself this way I learned web design and then I was like well I can design websites and then I learned how to do some uh, video piecing and some production I was like well I can just produce videos well this is mad then I wrote a business plan and all of a sudden I got one of these artists a major sponsorship deal in no time and managed him who was that? His name's Carl Williams, and he just done a track with Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's <laughs> a great friend of mine, and we go back a long way. Um, he was a great guy, and, and yeah, and I just honed my skills. I've realised, like, hold on, what is going on here? I can learn things, like, ridiculously fast. Let me set up a media company. I seem to, you know, I've got this business planning down. I've got this web design down. I can do graphical elements. I can program now. And this is in the space of, like, six months. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. I started picking up clients. And I was like, wow. Like I can learn things. I'm, 
what really affected me? Let me see what I can do here. And I was living in an office in Waterhouse Business Centre in Chelmsford at the time. Living in an office, yeah, living off of just nothing, basically. Just enough, literally bringing in web design jobs to pay for the office, right? And um, I was like, what affected me? Like, what really affected me growing up? And it was the lack of stability and the lack of a home. Like, we'd move from house to house, or I'd be homeless, and there was no houses on a waiting list, and my mum come out of hospital, and we didn't have anywhere. The benefits wouldn't pay for it. The private landlord we had when I, at one point, didn't give a about anything but his back pocket and you know we had single days windows the electric would go the heating would go like these are my sister would be cold my mum would be cold then I was homeless on the street so this really built up in my mind and I remember whilst my father wasn't around for most of my years when I was really young he was an air conditioning engineer and I used to spend my summer holidays working like a dog in doing air conditioning between the ages of like 11 and 12 that's before it really got bad and um, I was like why aren't we driving why aren't houses heat using air conditioning like he uses electric and there's renewables like hold on a minute why why just why aren't we using electrically powered systems that can drive renewables right but just the question posed in my mind so i studied architecture i did online degrees and started studying architecture and then i started studying mechanical electrical engineering and before i knew it i'd realized that the core components that make up a building are energy construction materials and iot the missing piece was the connectivity so I then went on a journey, and when I'm going to build a building that's net zero, fast forward to 2015, this idea came in 2013. I learned my skills between 2013 and 2015. 2015 came, and I built a school, and no one could believe me that I could do it, and I partnered with a building material company that at the time was made out of a glass beaded bonded system. And I engineered the school, and it was net zero, and I was 23, and people were like, what? This is one of the first times this has been done. Which school? There's a school in Norfolk, Reefham High School. Um, so the extension was there. It was using a building product I was previously engaged with. That building product couldn't get the requirements it needed. And that's when I transitioned into what today's format of Utopia is. And that is a bespoke intellectual property in a building fabric that we co-developed with a company called Forwall. Um, an IoT device, which is now partnered with Samsung. So I developed a special suite of IoT what is IoT for the listeners that uh, don't so know? It's the Internet of Things, smart homes. So it's, you know, real connectivity. So I developed um, a wireless kit, cheaper than anything on the market, no wires, and I could walk into your house right now and I could put sensors on the wall, put blinds up, put lights in, put a wireless light switch in, and I could control the lights in your front room without touching any of your electrics. I could put the blind down and increase the light factor and I could tell you the VOCs, the humidity and temperature in your room for less than 300 quid in all of your house and sit in there and, and control it and speak to the smart meter. So then I, I, these skills started to amalgamate. So I got the construction material, I got this IoT thing, and in the middle was this heating and cooling system, and we partnered with Samsung. That's when it really exploded, and that is the beginning <laughs> of my journey um, up until about 2017, 2018. Just keep talking. So what happens <laughs> next? What happens next? What happens next is I go and I partner with these individual companies, and I build... Um, a studio plot um, with my good good friend Lee McArdle who is runs our custom build division now he actually owned a company called Tribus which we acquired as a part of a big expansion program and Lee believed in me and the people behind Four Wall that had developed this original technology believed in me and we built this unit and this unit was ridiculous it was hyper performing we built it in no time at all I built another school in Brightland City and it got into the Reaper Journal and they were like Brightland City School but it's built in six weeks from design, build, building superstructure in less than a day, fully sustainable, self-sustaining at zero. And people started cottoning on, like, the, this kid has got a blueprint behind something. At this point, I met Lord Stanley Fink. Lord Stanley Fink saw, saw potentially me and said, if you get this right, and Lord Fink was obviously the uh, CEO of Man Group, the biggest hedge fund listed in the world. He said, if you get this right, you'll change the industry forever. Like, you'll change the world. I said, I How did you meet him? I met him, unfortunately, through a friend of uh, mine passed away, um, and he was effectively like an uncle to him. So this friend had passed away. I hadn't met Stanley, and I got a phone call from the guy that's passed away, his best mate, saying, Joe, why haven't you contacted Stanley? Like, why haven't you? I was like, oh, my, my friend's passed away. I didn't really feel like He's like, oh, just go and meet Stanley. Stanley will be impressed. And that's how that triggered, like, um, Phil Francis, God bless his soul. His best mate, Matt, was like, go meet him. Go, go and meet Stanley and just chat with him and just tell him what your plans are. And that led, one led thing led to another, and then uh, Stanley injected capital with two million. With that, 
we managed to scale our production, integrate the production line. I managed to sign a 5,000 home deal with Samsung. Um, I managed to develop my IoT products from concept into reali realism and partner with Samsung for the IoT devices that will work with any existing one. We bought our first site in Corby, which is now the highest performing building site in Britain. Um, it's won the Eco Initiative Prop Tech Awards, Resi Awards. We've won small developer Resi Awards. And as all of this was happening, I decided to take 70 grand and make a trip to Africa. And I said, I'm going to build something in Africa and use local people from Ashanti Town. And in 2019, I got on a plane and flew, partnered with a local company, deployed a building, filmed a documentary, and we built a 63 square meter two-bedroom unit that is net zero in Namibia using people from a shanty town. I went into the shanty town called E. coli and then came back. <laughs> and That's a novel story. I've been talking about COVID for 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, E. coli and COVID was, it, it was for me. But um, yeah, and, and what at that point people started to recognise was that I'd universalised the approach to being able to engineer buildings combining energy construction and intelligent technology. What I'd done is I'd, I'd figured out how to develop 30% of the building but 100% of the performance. So instead of volumetric, where you build 70% off-site, or instead of traditional, where none of it's about performance, and you'd be 30% of a house in the construction material, the energy products, and the intelligent sensors and smart tech, and I can guarantee you a net zero building with renewables attached to it. Um, at that point, um, I caught the attention of the Rubens, and David Rubin and Deborah Rubin, the kind, lovely people that they are, saw another potential. And he said, Joe, you've got potentially a net zero commodity of the future. You can scale this to save the planet you can manufacture 30% of a building give it to any developer or any builder anywhere in the world you've already done it in Africa and you've done it in the UK and you can make it net zero so you can build buildings solve the crisis and save the planet by building net zero buildings they're all connected they're all intelligent that people enjoy living in and they injected a sum of money into the organisation and now we're expanding as we stand today we have the facility being set up in the United States and our pilots going with the CEO in the United States in the UK, we're under hyper-expansion. We've got our first clients. As we've taken an SME developer net zero. We've bought our own developments. We're buying more, acquiring more. We'll be recognised, hopefully, in the next two years as the number one developer in the UK. We're already the small developer in the UK. We're the first ESG-compliant net zero building product in the UK, so we've unlocked green funding. Um, we have deployed a system, obviously, in Africa, and we've also signed deals for some new gigacity projects with some major, major Middle Eastern countries to greenify the Middle East. And we're not stopping here. Seven continents, seven build systems, solving seven world problems. And we'll build the, I'll be the first person to build seven buildings on each continent. And yes, I'm going to Antarctica to do a global warming <laughs> research trip with the amazing Robert Swan of the 2041 Foundation next year. And I will connect those buildings and we will, will be living on the first net zero example of a global planet. Okay. I mean, there's a lot. There's, there's a, <laughs> my God, there's such a lot within that. Um... It's really timely because here we are, mid mid August of twenty one, right? Mm -hmm. And in the newspapers all week has been this, you know, huge splash around now or never, basically. The IPCC report, yeah, UN's report. So, what drives you the most? Is it to provide affordable housing? Is it to make housing green? Or, or is it like the connectivity and the? It's, it's connected. It. <laughs> You have an iPhone and you have a Tesla that drives itself, but you live in a box of bricks. It can't even speak to you and uses gas. What do you mean? It's fundamentally flawed. So the everywhere you go, depending on where you go around the world, we have different building regulations, but we're all suffering the same problem. It's only now we're realising climate change is making us all exposed to those problems. But Kuwait's been hitting 50 degrees for however many years. This isn't We, we localise our issues based on our own interpretation, Brexit as an example, how we feel in that moment in time. But this world is a big place, and this has been happening for 30 years. We're saying it's happening now because the three countries that wouldn't sign up previously said, oh, we're going to sign up. The Trumpism denied it. The reality is, is that we've been having more floods than we've ever had for the past five years. You know, we're seeing storms in the UK that didn't exist. They're seeing monsoons in Japan. There's been forest fires for the last 10 years. People just didn't have social media to share it. But if you look hard enough, you find it. So the realism is, is that the benchmark of before isn't good enough. And the fact that we can't house everyone is not good enough. Every family in the UK will have access to a mobile or a car, but not everyone has a home. Yeah. You tell me what's wrong with that. 
I'm asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's where I'm coming from. It's like we have to as a society, as a community, and if there's one unfortunate thing that climate change has finally done, it's bring us as a species and go, we're all in this together. Like, actually, you know what? Maybe Shantytown should have homes. Maybe we should okay. build. So this is interesting, right? Mm. I've spent 20 years, longer than you, if I may say. Like, often I'm interviewing people with, like, veterans, you know, these... <laughs> guys and girls that have been at it for 40 years but it's really interesting talking to you so you say we're all in, in this together mm. but the obstacles you've already faced and will mm. continue to face would suggest it's a scrap right you know it's competition mm-hmm. no yeah yeah agreed agreed there is no unity you know even to the point where like a cop 26 we've arranged and we've been we've approached cop to bring all the, the mmc providers together and everyone's going oh my god why and i'm like it's like zero point zero 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 one percent of the global housing industry. These four companies, Legal and General and Bulklock and all that, will answer. If we don't all get together, what's going to happen? But it takes the mold breaking. Do you know what I mean? It does take work. It takes a lot of enthusiasm and passion. Sometimes I have to dig really deep, <laughs> and that's someone that's enthusiastic and as passionate as me. I have to dig deep, and I have to think about what's next, and I have to think about the generations that are coming next, and I have to think about how I feel and how people like me feel not being able to get on the property ladder. You know, it was I only bought my first house this year. Did you? That's crazy. Where'd you buy? I bought, believe it or not, in a beautiful place in a regional district um, up near Manchester. Um, really? Yeah, so I community, I work between London and Manchester. Okay. The beauty of that is is that I have the ability to access three major hubs um, within two and a half hours of each other, Leeds, Manchester and London. Manchester's the fast growing tech city in Europe. I'm very keen on that. I want to understand that. Also, the Pennines are absolutely beautiful. And to connect myself to nature, I have to be close to nature. In London, when you live in London, it's very easy to travel to London. When you live in London, it's very hard to travel. You know, go to St. James's Park or something, okay, it's saturated. Or you want to go to Windsor Park and it's a 45 minute drive for four miles. It's very hard to disconnect for your brain when you're in hyper realism. And we live in a digital world. It's quite funny. People say to me, oh, yeah, but we're working remotely. I've got a UK CEO, right? So he focuses on the UK. But when I was living in a summer house, when I first got my first investment, don't think I had the money to be traveling back and forth from London. I was doing everything over the phone and over the laptop. I was just, it just, it's the modern age. And I'm glad that people are finally caught up. Again, the only positive to come out of COVID. Connectivity, people, unity. Do you think that's the only positive? I, I, I can't see any others at the moment. Um because it was so damaging the supply chains have been so hit people's opinions mental health has been hit so hard um, we've been forced upon ourselves to take considerations we previously never would you know never in our democratic society did we ever expect that we would be forced inside but we had to for the saviour of each other and it's quite a weird dynamic you know so I do think that the positive that came out of that is the connection that people built whether digitally or in person or whether with the planet there's a new level of connectivity and appreciation for biodiversity and yeah. people and feeling, which we forgot about for quite a long time that I didn't even grow up in. I didn't have any of that growing up myself. So, you know, it's, it is a unique positive in a, in a pool or an ocean of negatives. I, I agree. I mean, this isn't about me, it's about you, but I'd say one of the best things is happened to me in a sense was covid because it gives you an opportunity to reflect and reconnect and you know perhaps just plot a new course slightly different course yeah and uh, you know has it been good for industry no a lot of people have changed jobs and i don't think that's a bad thing but it's really messed with the status quo um and you know whether we like to face it or not as britain we ain't just worried about covid so our friends in europe aren't around anymore and We've been isolated even more, and I think what we need to do is a Britain, as it were. Um, forget about making Britain great again. Let's make Britain one. Do you know what I mean? Like, bring it together, bring the people together, understand we're all suffering from the same problems. Bring everyone a little bit together. Do you know what I mean? I'm right behind you. So, let's. So you're five years in? Yep. Five years from now? Yeah, so we will be built on four continents by... Oh, by the end of this year, the American project may start in the beginning of next year. Again, COVID delays. So by to the end of 2022, we would have scaled up Powered by Utopia. We're giving the SME industry, so the small to medium enterprise developer industry, 
uh, access to volume. So the Intel core chip of housing, we're basically saying here's 35% of the house, here's your green finance from the major institutional lenders, you can build net zero now, here it is. That will be hopefully within a thousand or two thousand by the end of next year. We would have built in the Middle East. We've again already built in Africa, built in the UK, we would have built in America. There's some opportunities that are arising. Um, we met with the Indian government a couple of years ago to talk about scale there. So I'd say by the end of 2022, our aim is to be on four or five continents as an organization, unifying building regulation globally. One of the things that people don't realize, building regulation is different everywhere you go. You can't take one product anywhere. It's not like a car, it's not like a phone. So we're working with uh, EDGE Green Building Certification, which is the IFC and the World Bank's accreditation, to unify the ability to deliver net zero building. So the aim is five continents by the end of 2022. Four or five continents, you know, we're not going to be, we're going to focus on what we need to deliver, of course. Um, and then within the next five years, we will be easily the most prominent, we're already the best <laughs> developer in the UK. We will have a strong, have a program in the USA in at least a number of maybe five states um, with some serious volume. We have penetrated Asia. We've already done Africa. Um, and we would have yeah built on the seven continents and we will be volumizing. We'll be having impact on eco-city programs. We've just developed a gaming engine technology which will make which is going to redefine planning globally. Um, we've been speaking with a number of partners on that to, to bring green eco-cities to life in a better way, in a truer way, not just on pieces of paper. So I expect Utopia to have touched the hearts of every culture within the next five years and set an example for every country to what how we can build better green and quality buildings. And then what? Next five well, years. These billionaires all going up to Mars and that. And they, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Everyone's like, let's go to space. No, of course not. Um, well, after that, hopefully, I would have set an example. You know, I'm currently at the moment, personally, as an individual, I'm, I'm advising Construct Zero and MP Andrew Griffiths on Net Zero for construction. I'm playing an active role as chair of Smart Construction for the UK Business Council for Sustainable Development as a part of the World Business Council. Um, so, what for Utopia in five years? We'll be one of the biggest, most prominent companies. We're already the first house builder net zero under the UN FCC anyway. So we'll just continue to lead by example. Um, as an individual, keep pushing. Um, which is, uh, I'm in no doubt of that. <laughs> that, that, that. Having spent my career meeting people regarding their professions, I'm, yeah, sold. But let's go back. What holds, what are your biggest challenges? What holds you back or in terms of pace and progress change of a mindset but again i think the major things that we're holding us back as an organization is acceptability um people fear what's new um a lot of companies all the major companies have gone for the premium market first so two prime examples of that is apple and tesla you can buy one of those affordably um because it's not necessarily because the products weren't ready to be Actually, you could have maybe uh, the Tesla could have potentially been classified in the affordable bracket. It's the acceptability and the adoptability of the mass market that make that very hard. And trendsetters usually are people that are act with act outside of that economic norm. So people apply these products in their day to day life, set the example, document and data it or socialize it, and then that becomes the norm. And then that 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 new product can be passed down. So I do think the blocker is acceptability in the industry. Um, but you're not buying. You're not building luxury products, right? You're not. We're kind of in the mid market. You know, we've got private development. We are doing the first net zero affordable housing. You know, but it's affordable housing. Is affordable housing in Britain? Do you know what I mean? Like I'm talking affordable on a global spectrum. I'm talking, you know, the fact that we call an affordable house seventy five percent of market rate, but the average house is two hundred seventy five thousand pounds, I believe, as recently as last week, uh, due to the increase. So, I don't know about you, but living on. 20 grand a year you ain't affording a 240 grand 230 grand asset do you know what I mean <laughs> you know where's your deposit coming from so I think affordability you, in its true sense of the form where everyone can get one but you're clearly plugging yourself into all the right people to the mm. state and, you know mega funds and all the rest of it mm -hmm. back to that person on an average I should know I, I'm not sure I know completely but I think the average national wage is somewhere between 25 and 30,000 pounds in this country 28 somewhere, somewhere yeah 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 there. London is a, I think it's a separate beast in London isn't it but it's like that but so that's the average you know going Tesco's is still <laughs> so you're building a product mm. for all the right reasons yeah. which is an amazing product and you're saying people still can't afford it 
I'm just saying in the UK people can't afford houses. I don't think people couldn't necessarily afford our product. I think if you went and gave us a free piece of land, 100% I could do an affordable house. You know, we went and built a compliant building in Namibia and I've developed a pod system, which is an opportunity pod, which is a home that is extremely affordable. But I can plop that on a piece of land anywhere in London and it goes from being 40, 50 grand to being 500, 600. So yes, the product itself, but it's not a car you can move on the road. It depends on land values. It depends on scarcity of land. Um, the only way to make this truly affordable is that we develop the right land for the right reasons. And you don't just have everything tied up in options, all the land being built with rubbish on it, and the councils and government take control of what they're delivering. So yeah, they can have the affordable net zero product. We've got it, but we have to buy land at the same rate as everyone else. And whilst we've got deep pockets, we don't have the scale pockets of development at like the big majors do, of developing technologies to help us make that easier but they spend a lot of money acquiring a lot of land <laughs> sitting on it for a lot of time so what do you and how how are you going to change that what's the plan the plan is to digitize the planning process so our organization has put a lot of its i put a lot of my mental resource now we've delivered net zero so delivering net zero is that what we've achieved that we've delivered an esg compliance so a council could come to me tomorrow and say joseph I want to get access to, say, for example, Lloyd's Green Fund. It's reduced rate and it's green. It saves the planet as part of our climate change emergency. Can you deliver me 50 houses right there, right now, competitive with the traditional building? And I can say better and faster. Um, however, having lots of those in lots of geographical location requires lots of people and lots of carbon. So we are working on gaming engine technology that allows us to allow you and me to walk around a game in a video call see how the house performs like you would you know when you drive a Tesla and you see the car moving but like that but for the house and the performance of the house so you can explore all opportunities and land opportunities with the council remotely that will allow reduce, reduce carbon it allow planning uptake quicker and allow policy makers to be able to drive better policy right because what they'll be able to do now is see the things they've been rather than going through 20 consultations where everyone's looking at a piece of paper you're walking through it it's like here's a game you know this is exactly what you'll get that's going to help make land more affordable because the decision makers will be able to take more control of their land. Right now, councils are just councils and landowners are subject to what the developers do. And I'm not going to give you those hundred units. I know you need them really bad as a council. I'm going to uh, going to do forty percent affordable, or I'm not going to not going to build on it for a year, or let the land property prices go up. What can the council do? Do you know what I mean? What powers do they have to say no? We want quality. How they don't have that power. The way you can realise that power is saying, oh, hey, by the way, guys, here's a gaming engine technology, here's our product on it, and go and share that with them. If they don't want to build it, then you can kick them off the land. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But that power has to change, like the ability for councils to be able to set the benchmark. Do you think it will? It has to. I think, yeah, 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 there's some Oxfordshire sustainability framework. Big shout out to Oxford City on this one. Um, I will tag them and say hello, because what they've done is they've done something unique. You know, they put their, they put their best foot forward and they said, no, you know, it's not good enough. And respect to them for doing that, and respect to Bristol Council as well. And res- you know, there's some councils we're working with, Wilburton, East Cairns. Respect. So it's them. happening, is what you're saying. It's happening. It's happening. It is. It is. Fortunately, because otherwise we're all going to be in, down in inferno. God. <laughs> Which is the reality, though. I know it's a, and it's a scary thing, but like we have to be real. I think I think the, the scarcity to discuss these things has caused us to ignore them. You know, and how is that work working out for for some of these countries that are now facing it head on? It was all well and good when it was only in California, but now it's not. It's it's real, you know, and we have the things to address it. Tech Nation Net Zero cohort, unreasonable impact from Barclays. Shout out to all my fellow cohorts who are driving technology. It's now the responsibilities of the system to say, do you know what? Let's just say no to things that aren't good enough. <laughs> Let's stop the monetization. Like it. It's only a reduction in profits. It's not that it's not possible. If every company decided to invest 20% of all of its profits, 50% of its profits back into R&D, that'll be where we are. Okay, so... Monetization. Mm. How much does money matter to you in this plan? Because, you know, I can see all kinds of genius around, you know, what you've achieved mm-hmm. and bags of energy and, mm-hmm. you know, this is a fascinating story. Mm. 
Money, economics, it's not money, it's economics to me. It's, you have to have economics. You know, there is, because I come from an impoverished background, if anyone understands how money gives you life, it's me. Ran out of electric, had to go make money. So money makes the world ground. It does drive a focus, but that focus shouldn't just be about the money. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we have to realize the value of ourselves. We have to realize the value of economy, a good economy, not just giving everything away, a good economy creates sustainability. You know, there is an economic impact to quality sustainability. You can't just go and say, oh, we're going to do everything for all the right reasons all of the time. Because if you did that, there wouldn't be evolution in product. There wouldn't be innovation. There wouldn't be an economic system which people can rely on and fall back on. So economics is important, making sure it's feasible, making sure it works, making sure it drives the train, because you're going to need, as you grow, more fuel. And things don't just come freely. So you have to be economic. You have to be intelligent. You have to be financial. But just do it with the right products. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You can put 20 billion into the right thing or the wrong thing. The wrong thing is going to burn. It's going to cause damage. 20 billion into the right thing for the right reasons should make you money as well as causing a positive impact on the environment and it's the and it's back to the environment environment rather than affordable housing environment is a two different things like what if i said to you what's your environment and you talk to me about your earnings and you know what's your environment what's your reality your environment isn't just the environment of the planet it's your environment it's people's environment so when i say environment i do mean the environment of course but I also mean people's environment living in different elements living at different statuses living in different comfort levels that is your environment and I think we, we always just go environment ah, environmentalist well yeah I'm an environmentalist I look after my environment I've got my house now and I like to go for long walks that's my environment I look after my environment but I also look after the, the environment at the same time so when I say environment I mean it on those both those tranches you know it's about the environment for the person living in the building and the environment that that building does on the planet so let's talk a bit about tech because that's mm. your other massive sweet spot, right? Yeah. And you're talking to some 40-year-old dude who's way behind your times. Yeah. What is the coolest piece of IoT? The coolest piece like, of IoT? In, in terms of the whole... Well, I guess property and not property. I, I, what What's shaken you to your boots? Censoring. Um, we as human beings have to see it to believe it. But ironically, the frequency and the waves of the things we don't see are all around us. If you think about particle physics and you think about everything that moves, right? So there's there's an airflow in this room right now. We cannot see that that is cold air coming into the room, right? It's all we see is what we feel in a sense because our senses limit us. So we have our senses and that defines which, how we see the planet. However, sensor technology can visualize and bring to life things we don't see. So what we've been working on is a sensor technology that works with our gaming technology that when you look at a house that's built with the sensor running in real life, you can see blue particles in the air. You can see purple ones for sound. Why? You can see how the true environment acts by censoring. You can actually go, I can sense, I can see what's being sensed beyond my knowledge. So if there's a whole drop... You could definitely sense my 13-year-old boy walking into the room. Yeah, this is the thing. And and, and again, this isn't about giving people data. It's about sensing that people, you know, always think that... I'm not sure what colours he would be, but probably (laughs) technicolour. But But this is the thing about, like, you know, people go like, ah, data, it's my data, 100%. It's not going to be any less than, you you know, you give your Alexa, trust me, right? But it's it's yours. And and I think people get scared that they're trying to put 5G 5G chips in our minds and stuff. And it's just an evolution of society it's not we're trying to infiltrate and control actually these sensors will help you make decisions yeah why do i need that i mean what's what was leaky windows like for an example why do you need that do you not want to know how things work do you or are you happy every day to say okay cool my house is leaking loads of at 12 o'clock in the daytime the sun comes in it overheats my house so i come in really uncomfortable if I had air conditioner, I then buy air conditioner, I whack it into cooling all the time. Cooling down that house is constantly at 21 degrees, but you're churning out a load of gas and loads of energy, and you're just happy to go, okay, cool. As long as my house is cool 24 hours a day, it doesn't really matter. But it does. And it does because you'll pay for it in bills, <laughs> but also we'll pay for it in CO2. So these sensors will allow us to say, okay, well, that window's leaking. Well, fix the window. Don't replace the whole window. Just fix the leaky bit. Or, But back to... Your impoverished days mm. and, you know, Joe Public walking up and down our high streets and every other yeah. country, people can't afford to 
fix their leaky windows, can they? They can, but you can afford to manage the energy better. See, it's something really simple. My energy would run out in my house when I have my little electric key. Um, because I would probably have an electric immersion heater on to try and keep me warm. And then what I'd do is I'd go out and I wouldn't turn that off. So what would happen is my electric would deplete. Why? Because I'm not aware of it. I'd leave lights on. Well, that sensor could speak to my energy meter and say, no one's in the house. And turn to- it off. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's sensing. It's saying what's happening. Do I need to be doing okay, this? Okay, so so all of a sudden there's a um, the building's thinking for you in a sense. Yeah, it's and it's making you. the right calls for you. It's saving you, and saving the planet. It's like, oh, no one's in here. So you want to deploy this technology through the existing stock of the UK? Yep, we've got a program with Samsung. Yes, retrofit is coming. <laughs> yes, we just filmed an advert on Friday about it. We are going to come. Well, if you take it, the Ekitech, I call my company an Ekitech company. So in Forbes, when I was listed uh, in Forbes. They actually labelled it Ekitech, and I actually made up the word because people kept calling me prop tech. And I'm like, I'm not property technology. I'm, I'm, I'm building, I'm helping build an eco cities. Like I'm planning out infrastructure in the future. Don't call me property tech. Like outside the building, there's plenty more going on, and inside the building, there's more than just the property happening. There's people as well, and lifestyle. So I came with Ekitech, energy construction intelligent technology. We combine energy construction and IoT or intelligent technologies to provide the built environment through technology. Right. Um, if you take out the construction bit and you put the energy with the IoT, I can make your building smarter. How would that work? What I can do is I can drive renewable energy sources at the right times. So if you go on a renewable, you don't know if you know, but you can go on a renewable tariff, right? So you can sign up to one of these energy providers, 100% electrical. If you use gas, you can offset it, which isn't great. As the world decarbonizes, we can use electric only. So what we can do is we can put our sensor technology in. We're working with Samsung on an air source heat technology. We come in, replace your existing radiators, put this system in your house, and it will speak to your smart tariff, and it will say, actually, the energy is really cheap between 12, midnight, and 4 o'clock. We're going to heat your water. But also, it sends when you're not in and turn your stuff off, and it will only drive renewable energy. Which is all fascinating, right? And I'm here's me, 40-year-old, Middle England dude, three kids, quite busy, tired, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, nothing special about me but I have to opt in I have to be active to do all of this stuff don't I I'm still with God knows who gas supplier who's ripping me off yeah. and I've been for eight years and I probably will be for another eight and a half what is it that's going to shift to get I, I hope I'm tell me I'm not alone in being that person no everyone looked at this so, so how does it when does it flip to being you know uh um, inactive to active policy you know this is why why am I playing a role in the advisory of contract zero and advising on, on the program with MP Andrew Griffiths and why am I sitting as the chair of smart construction you know why am I doing these things and the reason why is so that I can help align the policy because you're right like it should be down to the companies. It shouldn't be down to the people. The people shouldn't have to just run around and say, oh, I need to fix all of my own issues. Like, the government, no, this is an issue. The government is setting mandates for carbon targets. And they're saying to you, you've got to put an EV charge in your house at 600 quid because you now need an EV. And also, you don't realise... Electric vehicle. Yeah, and you also don't realise that when you put the EV in, you have to add an extra additional thing on your fuse board and that your house can only cope with 100 amps, right? Yeah. And now you need an extra 30-odd amps, so you've got to throw your cooker out. They don't <laughs> tell you that. Do you know what I mean? They don't, like, if you've got... If you've got, I've, got I've got a 120-year-old house, I'm making net zero as we speak, yeah? To put an electrical heating system in and then put my EV charger in, big shout-out to Tesla, love the cars, got to keep that bad boy running, save the planet. But to do that, yeah, I've now got infused and install an additional fuse board. I've had to compromise some of the systems in my house, i.e. one of my... There's two electric cookers. One of them's really efficient. One of them's only used at special times. I've got a compromise on one of them because the infrastructure wasn't good enough in the first place. So why buy an old house? Because you're, you're obviously not stupid, but why not just go bang Cause you can't straight build. into the finished product? You can't build everything new. So you, can't, you can't just address the markets that are going to be new. You can't do that. I have to set an example. So... You know, I built the best buildings. Here they are. And now I'm going to take the old buildings and convert them. Here you go. And I'm sure I'll break into hospitality at some point and give people smart hotel rooms that don't waste energy so you can feel good on your holiday. And there'll be other opportunities and other markets to help. But the big carbon, you know, what you can... By setting the benchmark and new builds, you can set the new level so you don't have this problem in the future. We can't get away from all the stuff that's been built. 
Houses that are being built right now will not meet regulations in 2025. So you have buy a, some brand new houses now, right? Offer some developers right this very moment in time, and that house, when 2025, when you've had it four years, you won't be allowed to use your gas anymore. And you're gonna have to go retrofit a 20 grand system into it. Yeah, I just bought one two years ago. I can't sell it. What do you think about? <laughs> No, I'm not laughing because it's because we're talking about this as a big problem, right? And that's what I'm saying. You're saying, how does it affect you? You've just told me that's how it affects you. That has affected you because people were allowed to do what the want, what the, they wanted. And how do we change that? We drive policy. We say to people, it's not good enough. You know, set the benchmark. Okay, so scale of zero to ten, ten being more confident than anything where is your confidence level around government and politics I'm not saying this country necessarily but worldwide I mean you're clearly getting stuck in yeah but um, I couldn't be a 10 because if I was a 10 the problem would have been solved 10 years ago um, I'm I think the system in which we we live and the mechanisms that politicians can immediately decide climate impact goals and results necessarily isn't always the best way to do things um, I think you do vote in a government to govern you don't give them the ability to choose the future um, and I think that things that are social and climate impacting should be a vote, I do believe that I think people should be able to have their say on their goals people should be able to say actually we do want to provide this or some people don't I do think that people need to ha be able to have that say on, on the climate impact because I think if they'd have done that a few years ago you'd be very surprised at the positive impact that could have but also young people have got to get out and vote so that's a whole other dynamic they need to make the voting process fix so my confidence is that, that I see a generation and I see an existing generation positively saying we need to act do I believe the system is ready this 100 and 200 and whatever year old system no because these problems are new why can't we currently govern social media to stop people bullying each other and there's people committing suicide because we have no control over the new the government don't have control over that and they shouldn't directly have control over that because that would be too much because you're controlling voice and opinion mm -hmm. um, so I'm very confident in the approach that's being taken so I'd say I'm 8, 9 out of 10 do I think the system is ready in its current form? Maybe not. But then time time changes all things. So hopefully in time, people will get it right and we'll be in a positive, positive environment. So I'm conscious of our time and I'm, mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, well, what can we do? I'm hopeful, you know, the one thing Devil Smith is, is a network and mm. it's a network within the property industry mm -hmm. at large what can we do to get behind not just you necessarily the individual but this message you know and this 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 kind of direction what what what's what are the two or three things that you would hope these listeners can get behind one thing every listener if you own a business should get behind right now is going onto the UNFCC's website or One Carbon World. Again, big shout out to One Carbon World because I know that this is just going to help them, but understand your organization's carbon. That doesn't mean looking at what you produce and every little thing you do. As a company, it's simply looking at how are we even taking into consideration when we set up this office or when we fly around for our business trips, actually how much as a company we're actually emitting. Mm. So as an organization, every organization, if they want to act now on climate change, can say, we're going to sign up and we are going to find a process. And some of it is offsetting credits, right? So offsetting has a place, you know, paying, if you pay a small amount to have trees planted or solar put somewhere that helps negate that issue, it's a, it's a step. So that, it's millions of little steps. This isn't one big step. It's millions of little steps that are going to change. And two, you can ask yourself, are you happy working with the people you are and are you okay with the outcome and that can be as little as if you're recruiting putting at the bottom of your recruitment how much does you care about sustainability and the environment because that will allow 
unlike before, you ask all these other questions, where are you educated? What do you do? What's your skill set? How many GCSEs you got? How many GCSEs <laughs> you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? But you ask all these little questions, yeah, but actually, does that person care? And Because I can tell you as an employer right now, I want to employ someone that has a positive mindset to the things that we care about as a company, our company culture. And our company culture is very much focused on equality and unity and saving the planet. And then I hope that HR is a management thing and it's very, very, it's a difficult thing to do. But the people that we recruit, we focus on these principles and like, you know, one, are you the perfect person for the job? Great. Two, have we interviewed everyone equally? Three, what does it mean to you? Like, what does sustainability mean to you? And it could just be asking those little questions or asking your clients, are you guys monitoring your carbon? The partners, the businesses you work with. It can be a really simple, small te- step. But those steps will make the execs think, are we worried about this? Are we working with the right people? And do we want to be a part of the change, the positive change, or do we want to be a part of the problem? And that's the th- couple of things I think companies can do. Do you know what? I could talk to you... <laughs> All day long. I mean, my job's to ask questions and listen. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to run out of questions anytime soon, but I am conscious of your time and I'm also conscious. We always try and package this within an hour just for a train ride or whatever it might be for people. I'm hoping you'll come back. Part two, baby. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. I was thinking Especially the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Just I'll be a frequent flyer. <laughs> <laughs> Positive frequent flyer. Um, but before you go, I, I, we always play a little bit. Of, we have a game, quick yeah. fire questions. I'm just. Yeah. You up for it? Yes, go. I love a, I love a little bit of a game. All right, here we go. I get given these to me as well, so I always right. find them quite interesting. Night Owl or Early Riser? Was Night Owl. Um, I got my lifestyle and healthy habits, and now my brain gets me up at five every day. No kids? No. Not yet. No. Not yet. Good. Okay, if you had £1 million to invest right now, and then... I'm reading word for word here. It doesn't say property or you know real estate. Where would you put your money? IoT and gaming tech. Um, I'd say, okay, human-machine interfaces. So, you know, I mentioned the sensors. You know, I mentioned about the gaming things, ways of making that digital environment a real thing you can see. So I'd be investing in human-machine interfaces and gaming technology that bring our real world in a game for simulation environments and understanding it. You would or are? I'm investing my time. <laughs> and my time, you know, it works. Yeah, out. and some pretty important people's money. They're investing their money, and so therefore, hopefully, you know, that builds confidence in, in, in the industry. Correct. Live music or sports event? Sports event. Um, I actually own a fast-growing um, non-profit, which is supporting grassroots athletes. Really? Yeah, uh, check it out at Reach of Peak TV. But basically, what we what I realised is, you know, my media thing and music thing I mentioned at the beginning. I was working with a lot of athletes. I used to train MMA and stuff like that. And what I realised, you know, I don't know if you know this yet, but you can be in the top one percent of athletes in your sport and have to get a second and a third job. Yeah. I know. On the way up, right? So think about it. To train, you need twelve, fifteen grand a year just to live. MMA fighters cannot commit or cricketers or different just any sport GB athletes I was a cricketer you're a cricketer that's so, why I stopped so look at the Olympics like look at the Olympics yeah big shout they were stacking shells in between matches exactly back in my day which was like you know either side of the millennium these are professional sports people yeah 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 so like Elton John's just done this thing as well where he's helping sports and GB athletes and, and the reason I do it is you can give them high quality media so I've got you know the prowess I've got some really good people around me um, that also care and in our spare time we run events um, and we support these guys with media and what it allows them to do is get sponsors so you give them really high quality media which makes it look cinematic they can then secure sponsors that can then pay for pay for their uptake sorry if we're getting interrupted here it's my fault because I, uh, I waved somebody in the room but <laughs> that's fascinating yeah. so all these links that you give us um we're going to post with this podcast cool. and we're going to start, you know, hopefully driving some um, more attention in those directions. Next question. Mm. Vacation or staycation? Oh, so you don't need a staycation. If you buy right in the right place, um, your life can be a staycation. I think staycationing is kind of a bit of a misdemeanor in that you should be able to go and explore the country in its own right. So I'm more of a vacation guy. I like to explore culture more than anything. Right. But this country is as beautiful as anything and you can jump on a train and be 
up in the Pennines within a couple hours from London or you can be in Scotland from Manchester or Leeds in a few hours so get out more and go on a few vacations offset your carbon miles how? online literally offset there's plenty of companies I'm not going to pick one because I think it's a little bit unfair but there are plenty of companies go online put in offset air miles and what you can do is when you fly you can just pay a couple of quid it's not massive it's about £6 a tonne just to start that contribution and start your journey to, to offset you know, your own impact amazing I always ask this one I don't know why Bowie or the Beatles Bowie man guy is a cultural icon for me like you know I'm very much again like I think the principles of my practice of sustainability also branch into my equality into sex and culture very much so and so Bowie was a real leader for that like he was very unique you know he was just what he represented even if his eyes being different colours represented different unities and that for me is more of a cultural icon his music's dope I like the electronics I'm into the 80s rhythmics and things like that anyway so it's kind of sick so yeah you mean for me Bowie but I'm aware that Beatles were huge so yeah well ditto I mean hats off to uh, John Paul and his <laughs> mates but uh, I'm with you final question we always ask this one which is if you could own any property in the world which one would it be and why interestingly yeah so it's the Louvre yeah so they have one of the most engineered systems in the world to preserve artefacts um, I don't know what their net zero policy is so if we've got any connections anyone listening to the Louvre and we can talk and sort them out to get them net zero they encapsulate moments of history in time through art and they've used engineering to preserve them and the architecture is beautiful so for me the Louvre uh, Joseph Michael Daniels this has been fascinating um, I have huge respect for you and what you're doing thank you for for your um, interest and loyalty to me and my firm thank you for joining me today mm-hmm. part two part three on its way <laughs> um, it's been great so I can't thank you enough thank you for having me on and I hope the listeners enjoyed it and there'll be plenty more good man thanks well done just at that moment I got a call well done well done well done well done that's it I'm in a podcast mate you called me just as it ended luckily (laughs) that's